0: Well, good evening, uh, morning, or whatever it is, church. How we doing? I'm Scott Weatherford. I want to introduce to you my friend, Rick Bartino. Hey, Rick. Hi, Pastor. How you doing, man? Talking to your good microphone. Hi, Pastor. How you doing, man? Good. So, Rick, you, uh, you grew up in Pennsylvania, lived in California, and then God blessed you, and you moved to Texas, right? It took a while, but I got it right. Yeah. So, is it, is it true that Texas is building a wall between here and California? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. So why is Rick up here for me to openly harass him? It's because starting next Friday we're reintroducing, actually reintroducing, a great ministry called Celebrate Recovery, and it's designed to help people with hurts, habits, and hangups. But maybe I should ask you that, Rick. Tell us what is Celebrate Recovery? What is CR? What is what is that all about?
1: Well, there's lots of recovery programs out there. Uh, The difference is this is a Christ-centered recovery program. So 100% of it is based on structure around the bible and the and the beatitudes okay so the difference is you can get your healing from man or you can get your healing from god you choose this one's focused on healing from god
0: yeah and the other one does not really work does it
1: no self-help kind of is not really good help uh, effective help uh, but god's is eternal everlasting so we know that uh, we can count on him all the time. So
0: I heard a statistic, and we didn't talk about this the first gathering, but a statistic that 35% of the folks who go through a self-help type, non-Christ-centered recovery end up falling back into their hurts, habits, and hang-ups. But Celebrate Recovery has a 95% uh, rate of people getting free from their uh, addictions. Now, I don't know if that's uh, Celebrate Recovery statistics or, you know, it is. Uh, statistics can tell you what you want them to tell you, but... Yep. I know that Jesus heals people, and that's that's really exciting. Now, when we say recovery, a lot of us in this room automatically think about drugs and alcohol. But there's a lot more to it than drugs and alcohol, in there, Rick. All right. So that's the stigma, uh, and there's a good reason for that.
1: Founder John Baker uh, himself uh, struggled with alcoholism, so when he developed Celebrate Recovery to get on he- healing, um, lots of other folks followed along for a good reason. So at the end of the day. Um, You would think that's what it was for. However, five million other people in about 30,000 churches who have not even uh, gone through those types of issues have found healing from from this ministry. So it's been a terrific thing, not just for a specific addiction.
0: Yeah, it could be through uh, self-esteem issues, anxiety, depression, um, self-worth issues. Right.
1: There's a pictogram on the description out there, and it probably only has half of the issues uh, that are covered. But in a nutshell, it's it's any issue, their behavior that keeps resurfacing over and over again Mm -hmm. and uh, in your life. And it's having a negative impact on your life or it's having a negative impact on someone else's life. And you just can't seem to get out of your own way. And that is really the definition, I think, uh, the simple definition of who it's for.
0: Yeah. So we're launching this Friday night. So tell us, how do we get involved with this? How do we do this?
1: Friday night, well, there's there's three parts, right? You've okay. got uh, group night, you've got step study. And group night is Friday night. Group night's Friday night. Mm-hmm. You step study is where the hard and real work is done okay. on a separate night. Men okay. meet with men, women meet with women. We didn't okay. talk about that last time. but uh, And that's that's a uh, nine to 12-month commitment. Oh, wow, okay. But that's where the work is done. That's where the healing's done. A Friday night is group. You get together, you worship together, you fellowship together, you, you uh uh, you you, you uh, learn through testimonies, through lessons, and, uh, and then you get an opportunity to share, which you don't have to. You can share or you can listen, and uh, just being there sometimes is a big help.
0: Yeah, I know some groups, Celebrate Recovery groups, have thousands of people who attend those group gatherings, but you're looking at, wow, I think three environments we talk about around here, God time, group time, and gathering time, right? That's kind of the same mm-hmm. process CR yep. goes about. Now, it's, this starts this Friday Six o'clock.
1: Six o'clock, 6 p.m. I know you'll see a sign that says 6.30. It's six o'clock, and it uh, goes to about nine-ish. Uh, and I didn't mention this in the first service, but uh, there will be food served, and it is free.
0: Free food. Yeah. Uh, okay, you just got everybody's attention. That's yeah. good.
1: Um, and there's, I know, it's, it's, it's a little scary when you give man time to think between services. Yeah, but, I know. Uh, all for Jesus. Me, all know. for yeah. Jesus. yeah. yeah. Uh, this is all from Jesus. All the right. healing is from Jesus, yeah, and uh, i can 't tell you that at least for myself, I, I suffered from unworthiness and lots of other things that caused me to make dumb decisions, uh, which impacted me and impacted my relationships i didn 't know Jesus I, knew, I was an adolescent when it came to knowing jesus right and that 's not just the Catholic background, but it was a part part of it, uh, but at the end of the day. Um, surrendering to Jesus was what I learned through Celebrate Recovery, and that it's not a one-time, it's an ongoing relationship. Yeah,
0: like every day.
1: Like every day. Yeah. Book resources, there's two out there. Okay. uh, To just get you familiar, uh, First Steps and um, Life Sealing Choices, if you're interested to learn more before you attend any of the others.
0: And and then if you would like to volunteer or whatever, you guys are out, and you'd love to
1: have a conversation, right? We'd be grateful to have even more volunteers, but I'm thankful for the team that we've got and uh, for the help from Pastor Scott Tidwell. And uh, also, I didn't mention Bob Moss from yeah. our neighboring church, right. Cyprus. Yeah, Cypress, yeah. Bob's 78. He's been through Celebrate Recovery, the step study, three or four times. <clears throat> Not because he needed it, because he gets so much out of it for himself each time and then helping others. And he's been great for leading our step study. Yeah. For our sister served
0: church, uh, Cypress Creek. Yeah, that's yep. good. Yep. So, uh, that's, that's celebrate recovery. And that starts this week. And, uh, you want more information, see Rick you know, or your team will be out front. So let's pray for Rick. Okay. Let's do that. Father, thank you for Rick and the, the assignment you've given him to serve in this capacity. You take his message, you make it your message. And I pray you empower him and his team to build lives that honor you through this wonderful ministry uh, called CR. Thank you for John Baker. Thank you for the wisdom you gave him to create this and Pastor Rick for writing this curriculum. And now Father, we're joining in to see what you'll do to build people here in Wimberley through this wonderful ministry. So thank you for my brother. I pray you bless him with wisdom and comfort and peace and then pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Rick. Appreciate it, man. Thank God bless you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you'll take take oh, your cheat sheet, yeah.
1: He'll, he'll reveal.
0: Yeah yeah peel heal, and reveal that's that was that's that 's coming to a sermon near you good deal, so uh, Rick will be out front there 's a lot going on this weekend actually uh, focus weekend is this weekend coming up where uh, we'll about uh, three hundred kids from around the the uh, the community, Wimberley Valley uh, partnering with our sister church uh, Cypress creek, and uh, this is a really exciting time to build the lives of students. They still need help. They still need volunteers if you're interested in helping out. Sean, right there. Sean, stand up so they could see you. Have a conversation with Sean, uh, and he would love that, right, Sean? That's right. All right, good. Thank you, Sean. Be seated. That's good. That's good. So, and also, minute first is Thursday night. So, guys, you mark your calendar for that. We're continuing this series out of the book of Luke. Now I wanna remind you of the things we provided for you. Like we're going through the whole book, but we're not going through the whole book on a weekend. We're giving you three opportunities to go through all of Luke. Your God time, and that's where your Luke journal comes in. Your uh, your group time, that's where there's information on our website with me doing extra teachings of things in between the passages. I'm teaching and then our gathering time, which is like right now. We're talking about our gathering time, how God wants to use all three of those environments to build your life that you might honor God. So that's the three approaches. And today we're kind of in this middle of this thing and we're understanding the real me. I wanna say this to you because I think you need to know this. Jesus knows you. He knows the real you. He doesn't know the you that you just kind of give out to everybody else, you know, the uh, surface level. He knows you, he knows your hurts, your habits, your hangups, he knows your your weaknesses, he knows your proclivities, he knows you. And the thing about me, I have blind spots about myself. There's some things about me that I don't see, don't you? And we need blind spot indicators. Uh, Mark Twain said this, when you get married, you gain a witness to your soul. You know, Tara has uh, can, has the ability to see blind spots in me that I don't see, and really, we need those blind spots exposed—not just through our spouse, but through our friends, through our relationships, but through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit would say, "Hey, hey, 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 hey. What are you doing? You got a blind spot here? Something you need to recognize? Something you need to change? Something you need to to deal with?" And so. Understanding the real me really is the key to understanding the real Jesus because he wants to change your life. He wants to build your wife. So, this is what we do instead of facing who we are, we uh, cover up through religion. We want to have rituals and rites and attendance and service and gatherings and, 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 and sings and whatever, and it just doesn't work. It never has. That we have to peel back to see the hurts, the habits, and the hangups. To peel back, to peel, and to reveal, and to heal, as, as Rick said a little while ago. And Jesus is standing ready to save you. And we all need him. We need him to heal us, to forgive us, to restore us, to show us who we really are and to whom we really belong. We need Jesus. Look at your neighbor right now and say, you need Jesus. That's kind of pitiful. Y'all need to say that louder. You need Jesus. You know, I I said this, that I saw a T-shirt at Bucky's. When I have people come to see me from other places other than Texas, I I take them to two places. I take them to the Alamo and I take them to Bucky's. There's a T-shirt that says, y'all need Jesus. And I think that'd be a good T-shirt. Y'all need Jesus. Y'all do. Y'all need Jesus. In fact, a lady came to me afterwards. She has a store on the square. She says, we sell those T-shirts I'm not gonna tell you which story, you can go find it out. She, said, she says, I also have a teacher that said, y'all tested the Jesus in me. I need that shirt. And she says, we have hats too. So they got the whole, the whole gambit of, of Jesus hats. But the truth is, we need Jesus. And you'll not understand who he really is until you meet him and let him encounter you. And this passage today we're gonna deal with that Jesus has an encounter with a woman that was awkward, revealing, challenging. And she found a real self with a real encounter with the real God. And all of this happened at the home of a Pharisee. Now, when I say the word Pharisee, uh, Scott Tidwell, who's our online pastor today. Hi, Scott. Hi, online people. Love you. Um, he said that when he teaches at Deer Creek, that when he says Pharisee, the people hiss, don't they? They boo. Yeah. And so that's, that's what they do. The old folks boo when he teaches on, says Pharisee. A Pharisee is synonymous with hypocrite. And when we hear the word Pharisee, you know, been around church a while, you think, well, hypocrite. You know what's really interesting? When most of the people in our society heal church, hear church, they think hypocrite. They think we're a bunch of hypocrites. I had a guy not long ago said. I come to your church, but it's full of hypocrites. I said, that's right. We got room for another one. You just come on. (laughs) Because we're all hypocritical. We all have hypocrisy. And we all need Jesus. In the home of this hypocrite, this Pharisee, Jesus has this encounter. And we see the difference between religion and relationship, self-righteousness, and Christ-righteousness. And how that collision comes to change us. Intentional discipleship is a moving away from religion and moving into a real relationship with Jesus. And this encounter we're going to read about today demonstrates the difference. And I think you might find yourself in this account. Just say it. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for what you want to say to us this morning. And I pray that you'll speak through me today. And Father, that's a really intimidating prayer. Because who am I to speak of such things? Broken, flawed, but forgiven and redeemed. Not because of what I did, because of what you've done. But these people need to hear from you. So Father, would you just please speak to us that we might listen and be challenged to be changed? Because you are the God who does only what you can do. And only you can build my life that I might honor you. And I pray this in your strong name. Amen. Now, go ahead and take the, take the weekend with you notes. Uh, the, just take them with you. You might want to jot some things down. There might be some things you want to remember. Now, I want to read this account for you. It's found in Luke chapter 7. If you would like to follow along, you could do so in the Bible in front of you, or you can uh, follow along on the screen, or the Bible you brought or on your smart device. I'm going to begin reading in, in verse 36 and reading through 50. So let me read for you. Then one of the Pharisees invited him, Jesus, to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And the woman and a woman in town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. Now it says the woman was a sinner. Most likely she was a prostitute. She was selling herself. Now, let me say this about that. Recent studies have revealed that less than 2% of women involved in the sex trade are there by their own will. It might be the, the oldest world's oldest profession, but it's the world's oldest objectification. As women are objectified sexually and relationally. And this woman was one of probably, most theologians said, probably one of these women. This is who she was. And the woman in town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of fragrant oil and stood behind him at his feet weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with hair, the hair of her head, kissing them and anointing them with fragrant oil. What? Good thing there wasn't no Mrs. Jesus. They'd had a fight right there. Girl done broke out the oil and, I mean, what? This ain't gonna happen in my house tonight, y'all. Terry ain't gonna do this, y'all. But this is a crazy one of that. I regret even saying that. But this is Focus, Fox, okay. But this is, this is an outrageous display. This kind of unashamedly throwing back the curtain of self-revelation and, and saying, I'm going to do this because I'm grateful to Jesus. When the Pharisee who invited him saw this, he said to himself, now notice that, him said to himself, now I've read this a hundred times and I missed that, said to himself, he thought this. This is what he thought. This man, if he were a prophet, would know what kind of woman this is and who's touching him. She's a sinner. How did he know that? Maybe he was one of her clients. Ouch. Then this is what's really cool. Then Jesus replied to him, what? Jesus heard my thoughts. Uh Uh-huh. Jesus, this dude's name was Simon. He knew what Simon was thinking. And then Jesus looked at him and replied to him. He said, Simon, I have something to say to you. Oh. Teacher, he said, Say it. Really? You know when Jesus usually pulls you aside to say something to you? He's got a really teachable moment. Just want to visit with you a second. Kind of like when your wife says, We got something, we need to talk. Okay? Simon, I have something to say to you. A creditor had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, the other 50, and since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them loved him more? Simon answered, well, I I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? She entered your house and you gave me no water. I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she's, she loved so much. And those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, and this is what blows me away. They began to gossip among themselves, cre- creating disunity. That's really creepy, too. It really creating this unity. They said, how can you say to her, your sins are forgiven? Who does he think he is? Jesus. Yeah, he's God. He has the power to do that. And so he says to them, and those who were at the table said, who's this man? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Okay. Now let's look at this. Let's look at the characters in this account. This actual account. First of all, there's a sinful woman. How in the heck did she get into the party? That's what I'd like to know. How did she get in the room? I mean, they're in the Pharisee's house, and i read this, and I went, well, how did she show up? Did she like, excuse me, uh, weeping, uh, fragrant oil, gram for Jesus? No, this is how it played out. Everything the Pharisees did was for show, everything. When they prayed, it was for show. When they walked down the street, it was for show because they were all about outward appearance. Jesus said to them, you are like whitewashed tubes and inside you're full of dead man's bones. I see your hypocrisy. I know what you're up to. But when they threw a party, it wasn't inside a locked room or banquet hall or at the local, you know, Weston. It wasn't, though, it was in a courtyard that was accessible to the public. And it wasn't uncommon for a Pharisee to throw a banquet and invite his Pharisaical brothers and they would sit around because a woman would never be invited. Because a woman in that day, she had one purpose, and that was to bear, well, she had bear children and the purpose that went with bearing children. That's what she did and waiting on men. And so she would never be invited. And, and so how did she end up? Because he was in a public accessible place, probably in his courtyard of his massive house. And it wasn't uncommon for people who would just kind of hang around to watch the banquet happen, hoping they might get a crumb from the table, or perhaps here's some juicy tidbit of gossip or some legalistic bantering. And so this woman, then she had the audacity not only to be present, but then to invade the space. Notice what Jesus said, you didn't wash my feet. They were reclining at the table. They had their feet in each other's faces. It's pretty important if you're gonna have your foot in somebody's face for that foot to be washed. Just a thought. He said, you didn't do this for me. He said, Simon, you didn't even treat me like an honored guest. You brought me in here for show. You wanted to be seen with Jesus, not saved by Jesus. I wonder how many of us are like that. We want to be seen in church, but we don't want Jesus to see us and change us. We want to appear spiritual when we're really broken. And so this woman made her way into this. Now a Jewish rabbi, which Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, he would not speak to a woman, much less let a woman touch him, but he is different. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Jesus elevated the right of women. You know, um, I've been kind of toying around with the sermon series. If I live long enough, I'll preach it. I'm going to call it the girls of Jesus. who hung out. What, what girls hung out with Jesus? And you'll see that Jesus elevates women. Wouldn't that be kind of nice? Maybe I could do a women's Bible study. Y'all look creepy. Okay. She was a known sinner, but she was repentant. Repentant evident by her tears. And her tears were not just tears of sorrow, but tears mixed with gratitude. Theologian Warren Wearsby said this, perhaps this woman had just heard Jesus say, come unto me who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. And she did. She did, she responded to Jesus. And she found the rest for her soul. She found forgiveness. Maybe she realized that she didn't have to sell herself she had a savior who valued herself. And her life was changed by him. She was unashamed to admit her brokenness and openly, openly celebrated her gratitude. Uh, now, you'll read other accounts where Jesus had other women who, who did these things for him. And don't be confused, Luke is the one who talks about this caveat. In, in Matthew and in, in John, you see other. Conversations about similar actions, but perhaps they were separate actions. That this probably happened to Jesus more than once. That's why it's found like this in Scripture that Jesus was so approachable and so loving that he created audacious actions of gratitude. And she was extravagant in responding to Jesus. As I read this, I thought about me. I trusted Jesus when I was seven. I've never considered anointing his feet with oil and washing his feet with my hair. Of course, there ain't enough hair to wash on. I have to scrub with my scalp, but anyway. (laughs) But am I that grateful to Jesus? He took a little sin-soaked sinner named Scott and he saved him at seven. That's a bunch of S's, y'all. But you know what? He saves me. I trusted Him when I was seven. He saved me and 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 saved me. And one day when I die, He'll save me forever. I'm saved to be saved. And I should be grateful. I shouldn't become legalistic and self-righteous and judgmental and condemning because I've been saved by a super savior. And he's changed me from being inwardly focused when it's all about me to being outwardly focused to where it's all about him. Mm. This morning, we, we had a, a, an unusual kind of gathering. We did two exact gatherings. Dan planned it. To where our choir, who normally does it, sing in this gathering? singing in this gathering, and you're welcome to join that choir. By the way, it could stand a few more folks, couldn't it, Dan? A few younger folks as well. And, and what, it, there was over forty musicians on stage. And I don't. I want to tell you this: it wasn't about you. It wasn't for your enjoyment. It was for the glory of Jesus, and that's why these musicians did what they did. Hopefully you were inspired, but it was for King Jesus, them using their gifts, pouring out a fragrance on Christ. And before you turn up your nose say, well, that's not the kind of song I like. So what? Because it's not about you. It's about Jesus. Let's look at the next person, the critical host. Found a lot of common ground with old Simon. Simon was embarrassed. Like, what in the world is going on? Who let this woman in here? Where's the, the Dorman? Dorman. Get her out of here. What's up with this? I mean, he's like, what is people gonna think? I wonder what Simon was covered up. He was judgmental. This woman is a sinner. And Jesus could have looked him right in the eye and said, So are you, buddy? He's a, he's a sinner. You see, his biggest problem that he was blinded to his own sin. He had become self-righteous. I'm sure Simon would say, well, I keep all the law. I have the entire Old Testament memorized. I have a perfect attendance pen for Sunday school since the 50s. I am a Pharisee of Pharisees, and I am now self-righteous. But his self-righteousness was displayed through his lack of repentance and his repulsion at this woman. They're both sinners. One was a sinner of the flesh, which is well known, and the other was a sinner of the spirit, which only God knew, but they both needed saving. And here's our deal. We like to point out the sins that are obvious and not deal with the sins that are inward. We point out the sins that are sexual in nature, but we don't point out the sins that are selfish in nature. I'm watching kind of, and I'm not political, y'all. I'm not, because um, God loves Republicans. Did you know that? He loves Democrats. I didn't get as many amens. He loves independence. God's not political, he's God. God does not bend his knee to any policy. He sets the policy, he's God. I've been kind of amazed how I'm watching people crucify politically out of hypocrisy. And then I realize I'm the hypocrite. Mm. There's only one person crucified for righteousness and it wasn't me. It was King Jesus. You see the The woman had accepted the offer of grace and was forgiven. And Simon had rejected this offer and he remained lost. His religion had turned him into a hypocrite. But then there's a blind crowd. The folks that were in the room at the table with him. You see, the crowd heard the exchange and the parable, which one was forgiven, which one loved more, the one was forgiven more. They heard all that. Instead of grasping the truth of the parable, hey, maybe we should be grateful that we've been forgiven. They said, who gives him the right to forgive sins? They missed the point. They immediately turned on Jesus. They immediately began to judge him. What gives him the authority to say these things? Well, first of all, he's God and you're not. And he has this authority. I wrote this and I want, you to, I want to read it to you because I want you to capture my thoughts. So just bear with me. Judaism of Jesus' day had become humanistic, self-centered, and elitist. They took the phrase, love your neighbor as yourself, and twisted it to mean, love your neighbor as long as your neighbor looked like and acted like you. There was no poor spirit, no hunger for righteousness, no mourning over sin, and rejoicing when attacked because you were, you were self-focused. Satan had taken the grain of truth about the love and, about love and wrapped it in the lie of elitism and it led them astray. Satan loves to add legalism to truth in order to hold you captive. Let me go on. Satan done a good, had done a good job to the people of, of Jesus' day. The Jewish people were known for hating humanity. They even hated their own people so much that they'd created a caste system for them. We had the Pharisees and the Sadducees, then you had the tax collectors and the sinners. You were either in the in crowd or you were considered smitten by God. The intent of God was that his people, the Jewish people, would be a kingdom of priests and a blessing to the whole world. They had turned their belief system into an inward focused elitism that found its expression in racism. What? Yeah. Oh, by the way, they almost stoned Jesus because Jesus included Gentiles in salvation. That's y'all. God wants it to have a kingdom of priests. What is a priest? A priest is someone who represents someone else to God. God. All of you who've trusted Christ are priests. Priests are not inward focus. Priests are externally focused. Priests aren't trying to do things for their own volition or their own glory. They do things for God's glory that people may be included. The church of Jesus Christ is to be a church of priests. It's called the priesthood of the believer. That you're accessible individually to God, and then in your individual accessibility to God, you then become a representative or an ambassador for Christ to the world. A church that is inward focused is a country club without a golf course, and that's worthless. But the church of Jesus Christ is a church of priests who become the hope of the world. They had missed it. Entitlement, elitism, comfort, care, preference exist in the kingdom of the small-minded, inward-focused. Love, inclusion, expression, and selflessness exist in the kingdom that reaches people off Jesus. But there's a fourth person in the story, this account. A forgiving Savior. A forgiving Savior who gets this, who loves Pharisees. And he loves sinners. He loves the elitist and the racist. And he loves the prostitute and the derelict. And he loves you. Let's look at this forgiving Savior just for a second. The love of Jesus is on full display to both of these parties. He allows this woman to do this thing and accepts this fragrant gift from her. He doesn't stop her, he lets her go. He doesn't say, now hold on sister, now that's getting a lot of control. He let her express himself and then he defends her, then he extends this through this parable, forgiveness to everyone who would listen, who who would love me more. And it's not the volume of love, it's the love of Jesus. Although this was awkward, Jesus openly expressed and used this to demonstrate his forgiveness. Jesus forgives sinners, of which I am the chief. Paul said that, I would arm wrestling for the right. You see, a sinful woman and an arrogant Pharisee, they come to salvation in King Jesus the same way. And so do you. Now, I'm gonna give y'all a bunch of scriptures. I'll tell you where they're found and you can flip to them later. If we start flipping now, we'll start a, you know, a wind tsunami. But I wanna give them to you and they'll be on the screen. Ephesians 1, 7. We have redemption through him and through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. In a moment, we're gonna receive communion together which is a symbol of Jesus' shed blood, broken body for us. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from the fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For you were saved by grace through faith. It's not from yourselves. It's God's gift, not from works. So nobody can boast about it. Titus 3, 5-7. I love the book of Titus. I will invite you to read it. 3, 5-7 is this great passage. In Titus 3, 10, and 11, it says this. Warn a divisive person once, warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them, for they're self-condemned and warped. Woo! But before that, Paul says this. He saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He poured out his spirit upon us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. Huh. How did this woman know she was forgiven? How do you know if you're forgiven? Jesus will tell you. Verse 50, Jesus says this, and he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And Jesus looks at each one of you today, each one of you online, each one of you in this room. He says, Your faith will save you. Live in peace. Peace with God, peace with one another. Live in peace. Live in peace. Rick, I think you know this as well as I do. We all have hurts, habits, and hangups, don't we? Jesus wants to peel that back, reveal that hurt, and heal that hurt. Peels, reveals, and heals. And we all need Jesus. And Jesus is ready to heal you, forgive you, restore you, and show you who you are the real you, and who you belong, to whom you belong, the real Jesus. And none of this happens until you come to him. Our choir sang this. One day a plain village woman, driven by love for her Lord, recklessly poured out a valuable essence, disregarding the scorn, And though it was broken and spilled out, a fragrance filled all the room. Like a prisoner released from the shackles, like a spirit set free from the tomb. And I would say to you in this room today and listening online today, the air is pungent with the fragrance of forgiveness. The fragrance of identity in Christ the fragrance of the real you and a real Jesus.